today happens to be Celebrate Recovery Sunday, and so we're highlighting recovery groups. And I know there's probably some confusion, and there often is, about recovery and Christian recovery, and do you even need recovery and all that kind of stuff. And today, we really want to focus on that, make sure everybody understands, you know, what, are, what we're actually doing, what God is doing in our recovery ministry. I had a conversation with one of our staff members a couple weeks ago about Celebrate Recovery. I, I, will, I will not disclose his name, but I was just saying, hey, you know, there's a lot of people that think that recovery is just for drugs and alcohol, and he said, it's not? I'm on. you work here, man. No, it's not. There are lots of different groups helping people through lots of different issues um, that they're wrestling with. Christians wrestle with sin, okay? I hope you understand that. Christians wrestle and struggle. We don't have to give into it. We're going to get into that a little bit later, but it definitely plays a part in our lives, and it can get in the way and wreak havoc in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. We've got groups for people who don't know how to say no, right? We've got groups for people who just don't have that ability to say, you know what, I, I don't have time to do that, I can't do that. They're the kind of person that their name, they can't let a clipboard go by, right, unless they put their name on it. It's called boundaries or lack of boundaries, and it's a problem. There's a tremendous amount of guilt by, by saying, you know what, I, I don't think I have time to do that. It's a really difficult thing. And then guess what? You're overloaded and burning out, and, and it, there's, there's something going on with that is what I'm saying that you may not be aware of that's driving that. Here's another one, another group that we have. It's for people who have a problem or struggle with forgiving. And you know, you know who I'm talking to right now. That may be you. I don't know what happened, when it happened. But man, you've been carrying that. And you, you read in the Bible and you hear, you need to forgive that person. And you're like, I, I don't know how to do that because I can say the words, but like my, in my heart, I just want to condemn them. I'm just bitter. I can't even talk to them. You know, it's just... Uh, and I, what I'm saying is there's something going on with that inside that you may not be aware of. And what we do in our Celebrate Recovery groups, groups is create a safe environment where people can dig in there with God and find out what's going on. You know why we use the word celebrate? It's not, we don't celebrate that we need recovery. We don't celebrate the issue. We celebrate what happens on the other side. We celebrate what happens when a person's heart is set free from bitterness and anger and rage and unforgiveness and critical spirit and all these other attitudes that are just affecting us. And we celebrate the one who sets us free and we celebrate the one who died to set us free. That's why we use the word celebrate. And there is a lot of people right now in our church that are realizing that in their own hearts. So I just wanted to put that out there and ask that you would pray about that. Uh, after services, we have people in the go room, and there's a table out front if you want to talk a little bit more about that. But let's jump into the text. We're in 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to go through that first chapter, a little bit of the second chapter. But let me pray and ask God to speak through his word. God, we just thank you that we, we have a church that offers a place for broken people. And if I'm reading your word right, God, that's the only kind of people there are. 
You came here to save sinners, not the righteous. Because there aren't any righteous on our own. I just pray, God, that you would help us just relax and hear your word this morning. That you would plant seeds in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read those first couple of verses and, and use that as an introduction to this text. So, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. Could you imagine that? I mean, he's, he's like, I saw him, right? This is John. He's like, I was there. I touched the guy. I just, it was, ugh. can you imagine that? This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And in that introduction, he's telling you the reasons why he's writing this letter. He is fired up. He is excited about his relationship with God, about his fellowship with God. He is so excited about that. He's filled with joy, and he's making his joy complete by proclaiming this message that he saw Jesus, that he touched Jesus, that he heard Jesus. And now he has fellowship through Jesus with the Father. He's excited about that. The other reason why he and many of the other Bible authors wrote their letters is because just like today, there's a lot of confusion about who God is. There's a lot of heresies. There was back in his day. There are today. There's cults everywhere. And even in the church, there's confusion about fellowship and relationship. And what does it mean to have a relationship with God. I mean, what am I supposed to do, right? And if we don't understand what that relationship is like with God, we can, we can go down some bad paths and end up in some bad areas. And that's what I really want to talk to you about tonight. John was excited and concerned at the same time. And he was writing to Christians and he wanted to encourage them and remind them about who God is. And he also wanted to hopefully clear up what it means to have fellowship with God. That's why he's writing. He jumps right into it in verse 5 and says, This is the message we have heard from him. He got it right from Jesus, right? We have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. He uses the word light as a way to define God. And I think it's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful illustration. What comes to my mind is that light is brilliant and light is pure and light is excellent and light is undefiled, it's powerful, it's glorifying. It reminds me of uh, a, a, another way to think about it is it reflects God, uh, God's omnipresence, that God is everywhere, right? Like light 
is everywhere. If you could just imagine like a, a sunrise, right, and you're in a valley, and you can see that sun just cresting over that mountain, and boom, when it gets up, the whole valley lights up, right? It just goes everywhere. And it makes me think of God's omniscience, that God is all-knowing. He knows everything. And what happens when light shines is it reveals everything, not just in valleys, but in hearts. Light reveals everything. And that's the context of this passage that John is talking about. He goes on in this letter and also says that God is love. That would be an awesome sermon to preach, but uh, today we're going to talk about light and why that was so important to God. Why it was so important to John. Think about it. Light overtakes darkness every single time. If there's like a competition between light and dark, light wins every time. This sanctuary could be completely dark with not even a crack or a window, and you go up in that corner and light a match, and boom, the light just starts to shine. It's like darkness flees, right? It just runs and hides because light overtakes darkness every time. That word darkness, pretty heavy word in the Bible. You bet it could be used to define sin for sure. But it's also used to, believe it or not, it's used to, it could be used to define a place, a realm. And whenever darkness is contrasted with light, it's like opposites. You have darkness and light. You have good and evil, innocence and guilt, heaven and hell. But it also represents a realm. You could have the realm of darkness or the realm of the kingdom of light, like a place, right? It could be a realm. Sin, that word sin, have you ever asked yourself, what is that? What does that mean? I mean, you hear a lot. Have you ever really thought about it? What is sin? What is it? Well, when I ask that question, you know what I hear a lot of people's responses are? They're talk, they talk about a sinful behavior. Oh, yeah, 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 I, so-and-so is... You know, he's got a dirty mouth and he's swearing all the time or so-and-so's drinking or using or so-and-so's doing this or so-and-so's gossiping or so-and-so. It's always this external behavior. But I just want to tell you this morning, sin's a lot worse than just a behavior. And that's important to know because if sin was only a bad behavior, then guess what Christianity would be? Behavior modification. Change your behavior, you're good to go. Uh, no. Sin goes deeper than that. It's not just a bad behavior because every one of those behaviors comes from something. The Bible talks about sin in the sense that it's total depravity. It doesn't mean total in the sense that we're as bad as we could be. Thank God for that. We're not as totally as bad as we could be. What total depravity means is that sin has affected the totality of a human being. That it has affected Every single part of us has affected the way we think. It's affected the way we feel. It's affected our heart. It's affected our very nature. Our very nature is corrupt. What I like is corrupt. What I desire is corrupt. My passions are corrupt. I'm born this way. I'm born with a sinful nature. What good is this focusing on the behavior? 
You can change a behavior from bad to good, but if you don't address the sinful nature, you got somebody doing good things out here, being driven from a corrupt place, that makes the thing out here bad, according to God, because sin is an absolute violation of God's holy law. We miss the mark. And it's not just in what we do. We miss the mark in who we are. We're born corrupt. You having a good day so far? Anyway. (laughs) Sin is total failure, and it affects our very nature. And John goes on to say, to remind us that there is no darkness in God. He is perfect. Absolutely 100% pure. That's God. And he goes on to say, look, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. There's a lot of people who claim to be a Christian. I think the last time I did a search of 70, 75% of Americans say that they're Christians. And I'm just willing to bet that's probably not true. (laughs) And it's probably not true because if you look at their walk, that word walks, the, the biblical definition of that word walk is just how you live your life, your lifestyle. So there's a claim to have fellowship or relationship with God, but then there's a, a lifestyle that's polar opposite. And I'm just here to say, John, actually John's just here to say, you can claim whatever you want, but if you're walking in the darkness, you're deceived. You're not living by the truth. So the question that is begging to be asked is, well, how does a Christian walk with God? Because you and I both know just because we're Christians doesn't mean we don't sin. I hope you know that. So matter, are you, are you saying that we're all in the darkness? Praise the Lord, no. Many of us, most of us, I hope all of us are, are saved. So how does this work? How can a Christian, how can a person who's corrupt at the core and born that way have fellowship and relationship with God? He tells us in verse 7, incredible verse. Man, if you're going to memorize something, memorize this one. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Right there, man. That's how a defiled, corrupt human being can have a relationship with God. We need to understand this word fellowship because I'm willing to bet it's probably deeper than you might know. I mean, when you think of the word fellowship, you're thinking, yeah, well, you know, brownies, and, you know, there's the fellowship hall, and there's snacks, and, you know, it's relationship, and, man, it is just so much deeper than that. That word fellowship means connected. It means united. It means oneness. It means total communion, total deep connection with God. It's not just like Jesus is my friend kind of a thing and, you know, he's my co-pilot or whatever. No, that is so far from what this word means. We, we're Christians, we are actually connected 
with God. John uses the term in John 15. There's all kinds of other illustrations of fellowship throughout the Bible. One of my favorites in John 15 is the vine and the branch. Jesus himself is telling his disciples, you're gonna, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Think about that for a minute. That's total connection. Think about what happens when a branch is coming off of a vine and that, that life-giving sap, that sustenance, the, the air, the nutrients, everything that that branch needs to survive is provided by the vine. There's no separation there. They're connected. In fact, if there was separation, that branch would wither and die. So when we think of fellowship with God, when we think of connection with God, I want us to think total dependency, absolute and total dependency. If we were not connected to God like this, at the core, we couldn't survive spiritually. We would die. The Apostle Paul loved to use the illustration of a body, a human body, that Jesus is the head, and we're parts of that body. And parts of the body cannot survive if they're disconnected from the head, right? What the Bible is trying to put out there when it talks about this fellowship with God or this relationship with God is absolute, total dependency. We cannot survive apart from being one with him. Another definition of that word fellowship is joint participation. This is where it gets really cool. We're not just connected so that, okay, cool, I'm connected, I'm going to heaven, everything's. No, there's a reason for it. There's a calling. We're connected so that we can participate with God in his kingdom activity. God's on the move down here, man. He is, his kingdom is advancing, and for wisdom only known by him, he wants to use us and include us in that kingdom. So he connects us to the vine, he connects us to his body, to his head, and then gifts us, empowers us, and equips us so that we can work with him in being in this incredible kingdom advancement. I just think that's cool. I just think that's the coolest thing. Because what happens to me is sometimes I feel like I'm disconnected. And that's never the case. Beautiful deeply connected. His purpose is that we would have this intimate, incredible connection with him. And that we would be constantly receiving that life-giving sap and air and breath and everything we need from him. And we never have to worry about being disconnected. Because you may be asking yourself, man, well, how do you get connected to that, <laughs> Think about it. Branches don't connect themselves to the vine. Hands don't connect themselves to a body. If you're connected to Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian in here this morning, God connected you to the vine. God did that. God connected you to the body. You didn't just wake up one day and go, you know what, I, I don't think I want to be in the darkness anymore. I think I just want to be in the... You didn't do that. We can't do that. That's part of being in the darkness. We're walking around in the darkness. We, we don't know anything. We don't even know we're in the darkness when we're in the darkness. Colossians tells us that God rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That word dominion means absolute and total control. 
We were lost in the darkness, and God reached in the darkness and rescued us from the darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. God did that. God moved us from a realm, one realm to another. And if you're in the realm of the light, if you're in the light, if you have fellowship with God, praise Him because He's the one that put you there. Amen? There's some confusion with that. You look at this passage and you can get really messed up. And I just want to say, reading your Bible, you have to read it responsibly. That's why when you take passages like, chap, like verse 7 and like stick it on a painting or something or stick it on like a little embroidered thing or on a bumper sticker and you rip it out of the context, people get messed up. Let me read this for you for a second. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. You know how you could read that? Hmm. Okay, so my fellowship with God is dependent on me walking in the light. Do you ever do that? Because the word if, oh, if. Okay, if I walk in the light, uh, then I have fellowship. You have to be careful with that kind of stuff. Because you have just linked human works with having fellowship with God. And now all of a sudden you're a performance-based relationship with God. Where your walk with God is dependent, or your fellowship with God is dependent on how well you're walking with God today. Have you slipped into that one? How's your walk going? That, even that isn't, it's not my walk. It's our, I mean, I'm with him. I am totally, 100%, never not connected to Jesus. He connected me to the vine. I'm always, it's not my walk, and then Jesus is over here. Even that terminology messes people up. This passage is not saying that our fellowship with God is dependent on whether we're walking good today, because I tell you what, if you're going to go that route, then you better take it all the way through with that verse because then it's going to say, if, if your fellowship with God is dependent on the quality of your walk, then the blood of Jesus that's purifying you is dependent on the quality of your walk. Now you're really in trouble. Now you slipped into legalism and works-based righteousness. And I'm telling you, I've been around here a long time. And I have slipped into this, and I talk to a lot of people. A lot of the people that come to celebrate recovery are tired because they bought a lie and that they need to jump through hoops for God every day. And their walk needs to, you know, my walk needs to line up with my talk and, you know, this whole thing on this pressure to do all this stuff for Jesus. And I'm telling you, that's not what this is saying. If you put it back in the right context of this verse, John tells us in verse three, he already has fellowship with God. He already has fellowship with God. That's why he's writing the letter. I'm excited about this fellowship that I have with God. And the only reason why we have that fellowship with God is because he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. So what this is really saying is because God rescued me and now I'm connected and I have fellowship with God, I am now walking in the light. I'm no longer in the dark. If you're a Christian, you're walking in the light, even if, though you think, man, I had a dark day. We'll talk about that in a minute. You are walking 
in the light. You can't have a foot in the light and a foot in the dark. That's like living in two realms. No, you've been rescued. God, I hope you get that. I really do. You are in the light. And because you're in the light, the blood of his son has purified you and cleansed you. That's the truth. That's the reality. So Matt, the way you're making it sound is like, man, I don't have to worry about sin anymore. Right? Well, we'll get to that. Listen to these other scriptures that support what John is saying in verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is addressing some pretty hard sins in the Corinthian church. Some pretty bad stuff. And then in verse 11, he says, and that is what some of you were. Okay? He's talking to the people that were actually doing the sins. And he's saying, but that's what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who did that, Paul? By the Spirit of our God. That's who did that. You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit that moves us from one realm to the other. We don't do that. He did that. Titus chapter 3 Paul says, at one time, we too were foolish. He is describing life in the darkness. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's life in the darkness. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, who saved us? He saved us. He saved us. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, not because your walk with God, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. There it is again. Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. God's doing this amazing work so that we can become heirs. Can somebody say amen on that? Amen. He did the work, He saved us. We're Christians, we have fellowship with God right now. We're Christians, we're walking in the light. We're Christians, we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you may think, well, I don't have to worry about sin. Cool, I'm covered. Mm. I'm thinking John might have been thinking, you know, people are going to think that. Very next verse, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's a dangerous thing to say that you don't have any sin as a Christian. And I hear that a lot. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. I don't have to worry about that anymore. What's with all you recovery people? You know, you're, you're demeaning God. You're looking at your sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's a dangerous thing to claim that you have no sin. 
When we got saved, when God connected us to himself, so amazing was this spiritual act that if you're wondering how in the world can a corrupt person have a relationship with God, well, he took his Holy Spirit, okay, and put him inside of us, gave us a new heart, gave us a new nature, and now Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit lives inside of me and lives inside of you. That's my righteousness. That's your righteousness. But here's the deal. When we got saved, we were saved from the penalty of sin. If I'm in Christ, if Christ is in me, I don't have to worry about the penalty for sin, which is death. I am now forgiven from that. I am now cleansed from that forever. I am not condemned. You are not condemned. We have been saved from the penalty of sin, but we are not saved or we are being saved from the power of sin. One day, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin, but that's in heaven, man. That's over here. That's when we're home in glory. And the only reason why we're going to be saved from the presence of sin is because God's going to give us a new body. We're going to have resurrected bodies. We're going to have these really amazing, cool, spiritual bodies where sin can't exist. That's when we're going to be removed from the presence of sin. Right now, even though we're saved from the penalty, we have to worry about the power. It's still powerful. You know the quickest way to succumb to the power of sin is to act like you don't have any, is to deny that it's there. How's that working? It's not. It's a dangerous thing to say that you have no sin. So what does God want Christians to do with their sin? You ready? This is so cool. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now hold on. <laughs> Here we go again, right? Another one of those if. Another one of those if passages. I implore you to learn how, if you don't already, read your Bible the right way. You can't just pull scriptures out of context because you'll walk away from this thinking, okay, if I confess, I get forgiveness, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all, that's what it's saying, right? No, oh God, no. If you're gonna tie your forgiveness to, to your confession, you have just wiped away everything that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. That can't be what that means. I just got through saying, proving with three other scriptures, that no, forgiveness for our sins was something that Jesus accomplished for us. We are no longer condemned for our sins. We have been set free and are declared not guilty, which is what forgiveness is, not guilty. Guilty. We are no longer going to be condemned for our sin. That's what forgiveness, that penalty has been lifted off and taken away. That's not what he's saying here. You have to read the verses all in a row and in context. It goes like this. You ready? Because this is so cool. It's just so freeing, right? 
We have fellowship with God because he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loved. He did that. He saved us because of his mercy. We now have fellowship with God. Unbelievable, awesome. Because we have that connection with God, we are walking in the light. Because we are walking in the light, that illuminating, enlightening light that we're living in begins to expose sin. But because we are covered in the blood, because we have been forgiven for every sin we've ever done and even the sins we haven't done, we don't have to freak out about that. We don't have to worry about that because those sins are totally covered. So what do we do when God's light shines on the sin? We just confess it, which simply means I agree with you. God, you're right. That's not right. That's not how a child of God should think. That's not how a child of God should act. I confess that to you. I agree with you. Enter into repentance. I want change my heart on that. That's what a Christian does. But what I've bumped into in my life, and maybe you have too, is that when God shines the light, we hide. There are a lot of applications to this text. I don't. I'm not a big application guy. How do I know what to tell you guys to go do? I'm not this big, here's five steps to having, you know, fellowship with God. Here's the ten things you need to do to confess. We're all at a different place. What I like to do with scriptures like this and messages like this is instead of throwing a bunch of application out there, what I'd like to do is draw your attention to the implication. What is he implying? in this text, because I don't know what to tell you to do, but I can tell you what the text is implying. The first thing this text is implying is that there are people, maybe people in this room, that are walking in the darkness and they think they have fellowship with God. He's implying that. There are people in this room, potentially, that are living and banking on a claim. That you invited Jesus into your heart or something or you raised your hand at an Easter message or something like that and you're banking on that as evidence that you're saved. But yet your life, when you leave this building, your lifestyle is not reflecting the lifestyle or the walk of somebody who's connected to the vine and receiving that spiritual sustenance in love with God and would feel horrible if they ever sinned. He's implying that there are people who are hanging on to a claim. But they're not connected. Another implication is that there could be people hearing this message who's fellow, who are actual Christians, but their fellowship with God is based on their performance, not Jesus's. And you're still trying to get your walk together so that you can make God happy or something and have that fellowship because your walk is off, you know, something like that. He's implying that there are people who are working really hard at their walk and just trying to get those spiritual ducks in a row and... 
These are the people that I run into all the time who just can't say no to serving. If I can't say no to serving. I, I have to completely abandon myself, and it's, it's just all for the kingdom, and there's absolutely no self-care at all. You're just abandoning everything. Let me tell you something. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to take care of that temple, okay? Yes, he wants us to make sure that we have a, we're healthy. You're not supposed to serve seven nights a week. You're not supposed to do that. And people are tired because they bought the lie that John is implying here that your fellowship with God, your walk with God is dependent on you and your performance. He's implying that Christians respond to their own personal sin in lots of, lots of different ways. And the one that I've seen in my life, I, you know, I got here through recovery, crawling in, in the early 90s. Been around here a long time, but I, I would crawled into this place because I heard that Golden Hills had a recovery program called New Hope. And that was 1993. And about a year into that, I thought, I don't, I don't need that anymore because I bought the lie. I'm a Christian now. I need to get my act together. My walk needs to line up with my talk. I, I, need, I need to get these things done. I need to have this regiment all lined. I need to get up at this time. I need to do, 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 do. You know what I'm saying? I lived in that for 10 years. And I'm tired. My family was tired. Pressure to look good and all that stuff. And in his mercy, God shined a light on that and said, that's got nothing to do with me, Matt. That's all about you. And there are maybe people here that, I just, I get the fact that you want to deny the sin. You know, it's not easy. Because when God shines that light and exposes something, it hurts, okay? It hurts. What we experience is shame and guilt. Shame is a powerful, incredibly powerful feeling. or an, It's an emotion that you have this overwhelming sense that there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. Guilt is there's something wrong with my behavior. We feel guilty when we do something. Shame is we feel like there's something not just wrong with my behavior, but there's something wrong with me. And maybe you've heard that your whole life. Maybe you grew up in that environment. What's the matter with you? Is there something wrong with you? Maybe you've been labeled defective. And you brought that into your relationship with God and now you're trying to make him happy and you're trying to justify yourself. I call this self-justification project that we just, we want to do something so we can feel good about ourselves and then we can say, look at me, God, I, I did this for you. And he's saying, that's not the gospel. Matt, you're a branch. You're connected to me. Let me 
flow through you and produce fruit. Branches don't produce fruit on their own. Branches have no power to produce fruit on their own. They need to be connected to a power source and receive that spiritual, incredible power flowing through the branch, and then the fruit appears because of the connection. Amen? Are you tired? Are you tired? Do you ask God, this is really gets hard, do you ask God to examine your heart for brokenness? Do you, do you take a step forward intentionally? God, I know I'm not, I am nowhere near where I want to be and um, I'm asking you to search my heart and show me, show me if there's any way about me that's not like you, that, that doesn't think like you. Show me those broken places. Show me. I want to know. You know, people who pray those prayers are people who've experienced what happens on the other side, man. on the other side of a prayer like that. Because when God shines the light and shows the character defect and shows the broken places, and instead of running away like Adam and Eve and hiding and covering all that stuff up, and acting like everything's okay, and, and just getting lost in performance and all of that, instead of doing all that, you lean into the pain, you move toward the shame, because that's where God is, and when you come to him, honestly, believe it, confession just means agreeing with God, yes, that's not right, you move into that, even though it hurts, and he receives that, and you find mercy and grace and cleansing and purifying. And man, I'll tell you what, you want a deep relationship with God, head toward the pain. Don't run away from it. Don't hide. Don't hide. Amen. And you can't do it alone. Okay? We hide alone. We isolate alone because of the shame. We don't want anyone to know. This type of thing needs to be done in community. And uh, James chapter 5 tells us, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I just want to say this church I'm not saying everybody that comes to this church, but this church believes in providing a place for broken people to confess and work out with God the brokenness of their heart. I've experienced it. I work here, so if I still have a job, I mean, what does that say for you guys, right? There are communities. Celebrate Recovery isn't the only one. But there are communities in this church where we go out of our way to make sure that the environment and the community is safe so that you can be real. And it's really cool because everybody in there isn't trying to impress everybody. We all know why we're there, right? We don't have to pretend. We don't have to hide. It isn't bless this and bless that. It's just we're real. We can be real. And when you are in a community like that and the facade comes down and the mask comes off 
and you're okay with telling everybody and sharing in a group, a safe group environment, what's really going on and what you're struggling with, God blesses that stuff and meets you in that stuff, and it's amazing. And my dream is one day that we wouldn't even have to have a Celebrate Recovery program at this church, that the church would be that place, that the church would, that's what Jesus said, that the church is for broken people because that's the only kind of people there are. There's broken people and then broken people who are acting like they're not broken people. (laughs) We're all broken people. We shouldn't even need a recovery program, but we're in process. Amen. I love the way John ends this letter. It's like he's taking a breath. He's John, the apostle John is older here and he's just, he just laid out some heavy theology and stuff like I did and he just takes a breath and he goes, my dear children. I love that. I write this to you so that you will not sin. None of us want to sin. Sin destroys relationships, man. It messes things up. But John knows the reality of living in this earthly body. He says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Oh, man. That word advocate, mediator, stands by me 24-7, 365 days, just constantly because I'm connected to him. He's standing there. So when I come before the Father, I'm not coming on my own, man. I'm coming with Jesus, and he's there with me all the time, connected with me, constantly praying for me, constantly interceding for me, my constant mediator, yours too, always pleading with the Father on our behalf. It doesn't matter. We're gonna fail, and when we do, we have an advocate. Stop hiding is what he's saying. Stop denying that you have sin. Come into the light. Let him expose it so that we can confess it, so that we can get to the other side and just be with that righteous one. Every time we confess sin like this, the power of sin lessens. Penalty is covered When we confess as God wants us to confess and be real, the power of it just lessens and lessens and lessens. Amen? I want to leave you with this one thing that I wrote down to kind of summarize everything that we've been talking about. If our walk with God is about our sinlessness, then our sin is will always get in the way. But if our walk with God is about his righteousness, then our sin will always be taken away. Amen. God, I just thank you today for your word, the power of your word. Thank you for the rescue, for rescuing us. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We're no longer condemned. You will not put us to shame. 
We are walking in the light. We have fellowship with you. Our sins are forgiven. God, may you sow that truth in our hearts completely. And when we stumble, that we would come back to you, confessing and agreeing and laying hold of these truths again and again and again. Thank you, God, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.